Welcome to my podcast, The Apologist Bookshelf. Hi, I'm Gary Zacharias. I want to take a second look at a book called The Case for the Resurrection of Jesus. This is by Gary Habermas and Mike Lacona. Powerful, powerful book. Um, he spends a lot of time, I say he, um, Habermas is the one who's come up with this, but I want to look at his minimal facts approach, which uh, considers only data that he says meets two criteria. One, the data uh, are strongly evidenced. And number two, those, that data is granted by virtually all scholars, even the skeptical ones. So what he tries to do, he said, look, these are the things that just about every scholar agrees on. What do you make of it? How are you going to interpret all of this? So chapter three starts with uh, the first two of these uh, minimal facts. He said the objective is going to be just to build a strong, but it's going to be a simple case for the resurrection of Jesus on just a few facts. And there are four of them that meet the minimal facts approach, backed by so much evidence that just about every scholar who studies the subject, even skeptical ones, will accept it. And then uh, Lacona and Habermas are going to add a fifth fact that enjoys acceptance by a majority, but not nearly by all. So he calls it the four plus one. And so Habermas uh, starts in on this. So the first fact, okay, remember we're going to talk about just the minimal facts and uh, not even having to use just the Gospels and all. So first fact, Jesus died by crucifixion. He said uh, this is a common form of execution employed by the Romans, uh, but they punished members of the lower class, especially slaves and soldiers and the violent ones, the rebellious ones, and people accused of treason. So... It said uh, a number of non-Christian sources of the period reported the event as well. Josephus says when Pilate, da-da-da, had condemned him to be crucified. Tacitus talks about that. Lucian of Samosata, Marabar Serapion, the Talmud. So uh, John Dominic Crossan, who's uh, a critical scholar of the Jesus Seminar, I mean, Crossan's no conservative evangelical, but even Crossan writes that Jesus was crucified. He said that's as sure as anything historical can ever be. Then they'll, they spend more time in a different chapter about cru, uh, medical evidences regarding the crucifixion. But So fact number one, Jesus died by crucifixion. Number two, remember these are facts that uh, just about every scholar agrees with. Second fact, Jesus' disciples believed that he rose and appeared to them. Notice it doesn't say he really did rise from the dead. That's taking it too far. You can't get the vast majority of scholars to agree to that, but they believe definitely that the disciples believed that he rose and appeared to them. They really believed that he had come back from the dead. Um, it says the data suggests the disciples claim that the risen Jesus appeared to them and Subsequent to his death by crucifixion, the disciples were radically transformed after that death from cowering individuals who abandoned him, and they became bold proclaimers of the gospel of the risen Lord. So let's take the first part of that. The disciples claimed it. Well, there's the testimony of Paul about the disciples. There's oral tradition that went through the early church and the written works of the early church. So Paul claimed that his own authority was the same as the others, and he reported that the disciples claimed that Jesus rose from the dead. Uh, you have oral tradition. That's creeds, it's hymns, it's story summaries, it's poetry, and that's in the Bible. That's in the New Testament. I do a talk on the creeds that are in there. 
And the important part about these creeds is that's part of oral tradition that had to exist prior to the New Testament writings for the New Testament authors to include them. So that pushes it way back, especially the creeds. You think about 1 Corinthians 15. Uh, there's a creed in there that says many scholars say that was probably within three years after Paul's conversion. So he learned it within five years of Jesus' crucifixion. Then you have the sermons, and of course the Gospels themselves, the Apostolic Fathers. So plenty of reasons to believe uh, that the disciples did believe that he was back from the dead. Um, it says the lives of the disciples were transformed. I mean, they were martyred. They were persecuted. The book of Acts talks about the martyrdoms of Peter and Paul. I'm sorry, Clement of Rome mentions that, uh, the sufferings and the, probably the martyrdoms of Peter and Paul. So a lot of sources for that, Polycarp, uh, Ignatius, and others that talked about what happened to the disciples, Origen and Tertullian and Eusebius, and I'm not going to go into all of those, but they were willing to suffer because of it. So there are the first two points. So the first is that Jesus was crucified. Secondly, the disciples sincerely believed that he rose from the dead. Why do we, why do we think that's true? They claimed it. And they believed it. There were seven ancient sources, and I just rattled off a couple of them, attested to their willingness to suffer and die. They claimed it. Paul testifies to that. You have oral tradition like the creeds. You have the gospels, the apostolic fathers. So there are the first two facts, right? These are the minimal facts. So the disciples thought they saw him from the dead, and he certainly did die. What about the truth of any of this? So he says, let's, uh, the, the authors, again, Lacona and Habermas, turn to the next three supporting facts. So we've had the first two. Jesus really died. The disciples believed they saw him. Here's the third fact. The church persecutor, Paul, was suddenly changed. Now, he writes of his conversion. It's in uh, the book of uh, the Corinthians book, uh, Galatian book, uh, Philippian book. He writes of his conversion from being a persecutor to one who strongly promoted the Christian message. His conversions in Acts, we can see it in Acts. Um, within three years of his conversion, in the book of Galatians, he talks about he wasn't known by the believers, and the believers were told, he who once persecuted us is now preaching the faith. Paul's uh, notorious pre-Christian activities and conversion are multiply attested. What caused this change? Well, he said he experienced an encounter with the risen Jesus. So now you've got the resurrection testified to by Jesus' friends, that'd be the disciples, but also by a foe. And it says that people usually convert to a religion because they've heard the message from a secondary source. But Paul says, no, it was a personal appearance of the risen Jesus. So for him, his experience came from primary evidence. So you've got conversion of the church persecutor Paul. Who, what's the fourth fact? Okay, so let's go over the others really quickly. I want to make sure we remember them. Number one, Jesus died. Number two, the disciples thought they saw him after his death. Number three was uh, the change in Paul. Number four, what about the skeptic James, the brother of Jesus? He was suddenly changed. You know, they found a bone box now that says James, son of Joseph, brother of Jesus. And uh, it says the Gospels record that he had uh, several brothers and it says James appeared to be a pious Jewish believer. And he's 
supposedly followed very strictly the Jewish law. And it says, if you really go back and take a look at the Gospels, in Mark 3 and 6 and in John 7, the Gospels report that Jesus' brothers, that's including James, were unbelievers during his ministry. And then there's that creedal material in 1 Corinthians 15 that says there's an appearance of the risen Jesus to James as one of the people that uh, he showed himself to. And then after that, James is identified as a leader of the Jerusalem church. That's Acts 15. And he didn't just convert to Christianity. He died as a martyr because of them. And that martyrdom is attested to by Josephus, Hegesippus, and Clement of Alexandria. His martyrdom is attested by both Christian and non-Christian sources. There are multiple and early testimonies of James' conversion. So now we've got the fourth fact. Uh, the change, the conversion of James. We have two conversions, Paul and James, skeptics and persecutors that changed became uh, ardent followers. So number one, Jesus really died. Number two, the disciples thought they saw him after his death. Now we got the conversion of Paul, the conversion of James. So what's the fifth fact? The empty tomb. Okay, now that's not as strong as says of being a minimal fact, it's not accepted by nearly every scholar, they both point out. So I'm glad to see they're being fair with that. Said so probably the estimate is, uh, according to Habermas, is about 75% on the uh, scholars on that subject do accept the empty tomb as a historical fact. So they marshal three arguments for the empty tomb. One, they call it the Jerusalem factor. Now think about that. Jesus was publicly executed in Jerusalem. And what happened? He showed up again, and the empty tomb were first proclaimed there. So it had been so irresponsible for Christianity to get off the ground if the body was still in the tomb. All the enemies have to do is to say, oh, really? You say Jesus rose from the dead? I will show you. And they go over and crack that tomb open, and there's his body there. So if you're going to lie about something, you might want to say, well, that happened uh, a thousand miles away, so nobody could check up on you. And it says, if Acts is correct, the disciples began proclaiming the risen Jesus about 50 days after his crucifixion. And it says, even after 50 days in that arid climate, a corpse's hair and stature and distinctive wounds would have been identifiable. They still could have got that body out. The enemy of Jesus' enemies would have produced that corpse. You know that one. It said it would have really disheartened uh, some of the followers. What's the second point? What else can we argue for? The empty tomb? Enemy attestation. It says the enemy tomb is attested not only by Christian sources, but Jesus' enemies admitted that as well. Early critics accused Jesus' disciples of stealing the body. That's Matthew 28. Um, so you wouldn't have to try to account for a missing body if the body was still in there. Number three, here's the third reason that you could argue for the empty tomb. It's the testimony of women. Now you say, well, so what? But women are listed as primary witnesses. They're not only the first ones, they're mentioned in all four Gospels. Male witnesses appear only later, and they're only in two Gospels. And again, you might say, well, so what if it's women? But in Jewish and Roman cultures, women were so lowly esteemed, their testimony was regarded as questionable, certainly not as credible as a man's. In fact, according to some statement in a Jewish uh, work. It says a woman's testimony was given the same regard as that of a robber. Wow, that's pretty sad. So it, says, it seems unlikely the gospel authors would invent that or adjust such testimony. 
So if you're going to invent the story of the empty tomb, you don't want women as the primary witnesses. That testimony was not as credible as a man's. So uh, they said, you know, if it helps you memorize, you might use the acronym JET, J-E-T, to remember the arguments for the empty tomb. What's the J for? Jerusalem. That's where it all took place. E, the enemy attested to it. And the T, testimony of women. So there you go. There's some reasons for the empty tomb. So you got five facts as a wrap-up here. And I've gone over very quickly, obviously, but uh, take a look at the book. It's it's powerful. So the five facts. Jesus died by crucifixion. The vast majority of scholars agree with that. The disciples believed that Jesus appeared. Okay, third, conversion of a persecutor. Huge persecutor of the church, Paul. Conversion of a skeptic, James. And then finally, the empty tomb. And if somebody's going to argue with you, you'd have to say, all right, so what are some alternate possibilities? Like uh, somebody says, well, the disciples might have had just grief hallucinations maybe. You know, they just, they wanted Jesus to be there so badly that they just brought out these ideas that he was in the room with them. But grief, even if that was true, grief hallucinations can't account for an empty tomb. Or Paul, why would Paul want Jesus to be there. He viewed Jesus as a false prophet. He wouldn't have grieved over his death. Okay, does that make sense? You can rule out the that the story was legend developed over time. Uh, but you can establish the original disciples believed that he appeared to them. He taught They taught it within a short period of time after his crucifixion. So that's just a small part of the book. It's got so many good parts to it. So Habermas and Lacona, it's called The Case for the Resurrection of Jesus. I think everybody needs either this or something like it on your bookshelf, because that's the, the heart of Christianity. If Jesus did not rise from the dead, our faith is vain. Uh, we're wasting our time. But thank goodness it's not. It's It happened. I think we can agree with that. So, uh, a case for the resurrection of Jesus. We must be able to make a case like that. Thanks for your attention, and uh, enjoy the rest of your day.